0: Hey friends, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're working to build a community position to experience God in daily life. Our weekly teaching is one piece of that work. So as you listen to this week's message, my prayer is that you would hear God inviting you to respond to his love and his desire for you. For more information, you can visit ridgeline.church. Hey, Good morning. How is everyone doing? Good. That's about how I feel. Okay, uh, I'm going to open us up in some prayer. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, uh, I just want to humble myself before you. Um, this morning, as I come prepared to teach from your word that you've given to us, I just thank you for your presence in this place i thank you for your desire to connect with each and every one of us here this morning Um, and i just pray that you would uh, use these words and use your um your word and your holy spirit to minister and to to reveal your more of yourself to each of us this morning Um, and father i just pray that if there are any distractions in my head or in the heads of anyone here, that you would just limit those, that you would calm us and prepare our hearts uh, for what you have to speak to us uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but who here has tried to push open a pull door or vice versa? <laughs> Thank you. I volunteered myself because I've definitely done that. But I think that is like the worst way to start like whatever I'm trying to do. Right, if I go to the bank and that happens to me, like I'm just gonna turn around and go back home. Like it's it's not worth it. Well, my gym has this childcare center uh, that's just down the hall. And the first time I took my boy Cedric with me, I showed up, I signed him in, dropped him off, and then I turned to leave. Well, the door had one of those like push bars on it, right? So you obviously have to push to open it, right? So I walk up to it, I push the bar, and I just like walk right into the door. And it doesn't move. And so I just stand there like repeatedly pushing this bar, like trying not to let the panic set in and trying to figure out where it all went wrong. And this child care worker comes up behind me. And she reaches above. And there's this little lever like about this high that you have to push to open the door. And she thankfully lets me out. But I was just so embarrassed. I really wanted, I really wish that I didn't have to go back. But I had left my kid there, so I kind of had to. Now, as embarrassing as that was at the time, I think it's actually a good picture of how we try to achieve God's will for us. I think most of us who go to church and want to follow Jesus, we often wonder, what is God's will for my life? When we're faced with a big decision or a life change, we'll often ask for prayer that we would choose the one that God wants us to do, the one that's God's will for our life. Well, let me ask you this, when was the last time you actually felt truly confident about what God's will for your life actually was? When did you feel like it was crystal clear what God wanted you to do? We try really hard to figure out the decision that God wants us to make, and we stress out about it, if it's the right one, day or night, without ever actually knowing it's like we're pushing on that crash bar without ever actually being able to open the door. But if we focus our attention just a little bit higher, then I think that we'll find that God's will for our lives is actually a lot more accessible than we think. So I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, just for some quick context, Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the groups of believers uh, in Rome sometime around AD 56. Now, The culture in Rome was very diverse, and that was reflected in the early churches, which would have been a pretty even mix of Jewish and non-Jewish believers. In the previous chapter of Romans, chapter 11, Paul tries to address the tension between these two very different groups of believers by framing each of their places in the church as God's gift of mercy. He paints this picture of this tree, which represents the family of God, which previously had just been the nation of Israel. Um, However, Paul says that because of their unbelief, some branches of Israel have hardened their hearts and have been cut off. But the Gentiles, or the non-Jewish people, have been grafted into this tree, even though they were not originally part of that family. He goes on to warn the Gentiles not to be proud, um, because if the branches that had been cut off uh, were to turn from their unbelief, God has the power to graft them in again. And he wraps up this whole section by saying that it is because of God's mercy that they are joined together in this family, not because they are holy or because they deserve it. In fact, Paul makes it clear that nobody is worthy, but that God desires to show mercy to everybody in spite of that. Now, Just a quick definition, because I think a lot of times we hear words that are familiar to us, but they don't really carry a lot of meaning because we don't have a clear sense of what it actually looks like. Uh, This is from Merriam-Webster, mercy, compassion shown especially to an offender or to one subject to one's power. So basically mercy is when person A offends or wrongs person B. And person B has every right to demand punishment or payment, but instead, person B offers compassion. Mercy is an instead of act, mercy instead of punishment. All right, so I know that was a lot, but I really wanted to address it because Paul begins chapter 12 by saying, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, And I think that that phrase is the most important thing to these verses and to my message. Without this phrase, without the mercies of God, there's really no point in me being up here this morning. But it's there, so I guess I have to keep going my son cedric has these things called magnet tiles that he likes to play with um i brought one to show you today well actually my friend Mackenzie brought it um because <laughs> i just have the little ones um but i brought one to show you today in case you had no idea what they are um, but they're really cool you can build with them they're like magnets on the outside you can stack them but one of cedric's favorite things to do with them is to hold them up and to just look through them and he thinks it's really cool that like the whole world is purple now it's awesome So I want this phrase in view of the mercies of God to be our magnet tile, to be our lens through which we view the next couple of verses, because this is really what separates the gospel of Christ Jesus from any other religion. So with that in mind, let's dive into verse one. Therefore, brothers and sisters in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy, and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now, there's a lot there that we could unpack, but today I'd like to focus on the word worship. So uh, let me start with a definition. Worship is when we continuously respond appropriately to God revealing himself to us. Worship is when we continuously respond appropriately to God revealing himself to us. Now, I'd like to unpack this concept a little bit further because I think that, generally speaking, Christians can tend to water down this idea of worship, right? It can easily turn into a synonym for going to church, a synonym for singing songs about God, even a synonym for lifting your hands. Right? I've been to churches where it feels like the higher you lift your hands, the more you're worshiping. Right? Now, obviously, that's not Ridgeline, but um, <laughs> I love you guys so much. <laughs> um, so anyway, with this definition, there are three things I want to call to your attention about what true worship actually is. Number one, worship is a response. Worship is a response to what God has revealed to us about what he's already done. Now, it's not this idea that if I worship enough, God will love me more. No, worship is a response to what God has already done. God has already shown us mercy instead of punishment. He's already sent his only son to die in our place. And he's already given us access to deeper relationship with him, more abundant life, more overflowing joy. He's already done these things. And worship is when we respond to that revelation. So worship is a response. Number two, worship is an appropriate response. Now, there are many recordings in the New Testament of Jesus casting out demons and these spirits, they fully recognized his identity. They would call him the son of God and the Holy one. But their response was to stand in opposition to him, to tremble in fear and to flee. That is not worship because it's not the appropriate response. Now, that's kind of kind of an extreme example. Um, so another example is if I attended church, possibly for the first time, um, and I heard all about what God has done for me, about Jesus dying on the cross and bore my sin, and my response to that was, perfect, great, now I get to do whatever I want, and God's going to forgive me. Like, good for him, I'm totally worth it, right? That's definitely a response, but it's not the appropriate response. That's not worship. So worship is an appropriate response. Number three, worship is continuous. When God reveals himself to us, When we learn more about him whether at church or in prayer or through another believer we have an opportunity to respond appropriately with worship when we do that it positions our hearts and our soul to receive deeper revelation of god inviting us into deeper worship Now, the only image I can think of is this perpetual motion toy. It's this bird that like bends down and like drinks the water and tips back up. You know what I'm talking about? Um, And it will keep doing this as long as there's water for it to drink Uh, or fake drink, whatever. Um, But that's kind of what I envision worship is like, too. There's never a state of like reaching this end goal. Uh, with worship because it's continuous. It's like the cycle It's this continuous appropriate response to what God has revealed to us. So if I were to sum up one point for this whole verse, it would be this live your whole life as worship. I think Eugene Peterson uh, does such an amazing job at translating this verse. So I'm going to let him do the work. He says, take your everyday ordinary life, You're sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Now, I'd like to make a little bit of a disclaimer, placing it before God as an offering or what the CSB calls sacrifice does not mean that you have to live your whole life in this state of like constant. Yay, I'm so happy to be doing this for God like this is great. I mean, that would kind of be the ideal way to live, right? But that's just not going to happen this side of heaven, right? It's okay if it's hard. It's okay if it sucks. It's okay if it hurts and if it gets messy. It's a sacrifice, right? Sometimes being happy-clappy isn't even an appropriate response. Remember, part of what makes makes worship true worship is that it's an appropriate response. Sometimes the most appropriate response you can have is lament. You can read the Psalms and you'll see plenty of that, or for that matter, lamentations. But remember our lens, right, in view of the mercies of God. By his mercy, we will be able to lay down every aspect of our lives as an offering to God in an appropriate and continuous response to what he has done for us. And when we fail, it is through his mercies that we are able to keep going. So before we move on, I want to press into this idea of response a little bit more. So when I was in college, uh, I got invited to be part of the Swing Club, which was a small group of students who would get together about once a week to practice and to learn how to swing dance. Have any of you besides Pastor Ryan tried swing dancing before? I'm not going to ask for a demonstration, although I think that would be kind of, we should like start a church group. That would be fun. I'm excited. Okay. Um, So Okay, so swing dance, in case you've never tried it, you're totally lost. Swing dance is a style of dancing, it requires a partner, first of all. One person is the leader, the other person is the follower. Um, And it's really important that you know which one you are before you start, because that just gets awkward real fast. So it's the leader's role to choose which moves to do next, uh, to guide their partner into the correct steps by using cues. Um, And then it's the follower's role to pay attention to these cues and to recognize them and to execute the move in step with the leader. It is not the follower's role to decide for themselves what move they want to do. Does not go well, trust me. I, yeah, that was hard for me to learn. Um, But anyway, this is how we as Christians should learn to live our lives in this state of constant response to God's cues. Now, you may be asking yourself, great, how do I know what God's cues are? Well, first off, just like with a swing dance partner, it takes time, like actually, you know, dancing together, but you have to know also what to look for. So this brings me to my next point. Let the scripture be your mold. Let's read verse two together. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. Uh, We are going to work backwards through this verse. So let me just start by pointing out here that the end goal is so that we can discern the will of God. Uh, Let's start with some definitions. (laughs) Discern to recognize as genuine after examination. A good jeweler can examine a gem and know what things to look for and discern if it's real or fake. For the purpose of our time here today, I'm going to define will of God as what is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, notice that the will of God is not a long list of do's and don'ts. I think that oftentimes Christians have a tendency to think of God's will for their lives as this Kind of invisible tightrope that we're forced to walk we don't know where it is but we know if we make a wrong step we're going to fall right and there's probably no netting there to catch us how do we know if we took the wrong step we're punished how do we know if we're uh, moving in god's will we're not being punished right that's kind of how we think of that there's this idea that if we make this wrong decision if we buy the wrong house if we take the wrong job if we move to the wrong city, if we marry the wrong person, then we will have stepped outside of God's will for our lives and ruin his plans for us. Well, I have news for you. You do not have enough power to destroy God's plans. You do not have enough power to destroy God's plans. You can sidestep what he desires for you. You can miss the point sometimes i do that Uh, you can choose to even turn away from him but you do not have enough power to destroy god's plans now god's will for us is less about what we're doing than who we're becoming are we desiring things that are good are we becoming people who are pleasant are we focusing on the one who is perfect Now, that's not to say that none of your decisions matter. Of course they matter, and you want to be wise in your choices. But oftentimes, God is more concerned with how you respond to him in each of your decisions than which job you decide to take or where you decide to live. As long as you're living your whole life in worshipful response to God's mercies, that's what he desires for you. Okay, so that's the end goal here, is to discern the will of God. Great, how do we get there? okay no no offers okay i'll I'll keep going let's read the beginning of verse two do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind notice that paul didn't just tell us something not to do he gave us an instruction to do instead of if he said do not be conformed to this age or some translations use world it would be really easy for me to say all right paul All right, I hear you. For every trend there is, I will do the exact opposite, right? If it's trendy to wear skinny jeans, I'm only gonna wear bell bottoms. If it's trendy to have long hair, I'm gonna like shave mine all off. If it's trendy to, I don't know, listen to heavy metal, I'll only listen to Mozart, right? But the problem is I'm still focused on the trends. I'm still focused on this uh, wrapped up in the same flaky mindset, only now I'm an insufferable jerk about it. That's why Paul adds, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So one thing I want to point out is that true transformation comes from the inside. How many of you know what kinetic sand is? Great. I'd never heard of it before. I see most of you, all of you have kids that know what it is. (laughs) I'd never heard of it before I started nannying, but pretty much it's this—it's sand that's this perfect ratio of wet to dry to be able to construct this like amazing, the most amazing sandcastle that you could dream up. Only it's not actually wet, so it doesn't ever actually dry out. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty much—it's kind of like Play-Doh, only without that weird, like nasty smell that comes along with Play-Doh, and that one weird clump that's like purplish, brownish. It's gross it pretty much just gets included in the new sets by now anyway you can stuff this kinetic sand into like little molds and like squish it with your fingers make fun designs or if you're like a neat freak two-year-old like my boy cedric you can just stare at it while it like slowly crushes itself into this misshapen heap on the kitchen table it's pretty riveting stuff anyway humans are kind of the same way we gravitate toward conformity we are going to conform to something. The question is, are we gonna conform to the kitchen table or are we going to conform to a different mold? Okay, don't be conformed, be transformed. Great, how do we do that? First off, by the mercies of God. Thank goodness, true transformation has less to do with what we do and more to do with how we respond to what God has already done. Any real transformation that's going to take place has nothing to do with us nailing that five steps to freedom, self-help, self-empowering, self-glorifying books or podcasts that we choose to latch on to. It is only by the mercies of God. And with God's mercy, transformation begins with the renewing of our minds. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it, readily recognize what he god wants from you and quickly respond to it Does that sound familiar that's kind of like our definition for worship so here's the million dollar question how do we recognize what god wants from us the greatest tool at our disposal is the scriptures i use the phrase let the scripture be your mold But this doesn't mean that you can only say words that are found in the Bible concordance or only wear clothes that people in the Bible used to wear or like only eat locusts and honey. Like that's not what I'm trying to say. Unfortunately, there are people in the church who use the scriptures as a weapon to cut people down, to tell people how they should dress, what they can say, what they can or can't do, tell people if they're a real Christian or not a real Christian. And that's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am saying is that the scriptures are filled with examples of God revealing himself to people and by extension, revealing himself to us by his Holy Spirit when we read it. The Bible is a tool that we can use to deepen our relationship with God by understanding more about who he is. It is the primary way that he communicates with us about who he is and what his will is. The more familiar we are with scripture, the easier it will be for us to recognize things that are good and pleasing and perfect. And by the power of God's spirit and by the depth of his mercies, we will, there it is, we will begin to be transformed into people who can recognize God's will for us and readily respond to it in every aspect of our lives so this is our big idea for today the christian life is one of constant response to the mercies of god the christian life is one of constant response to the mercies of god this is what separates us from other religions like buddhism or islam or anything else god has already done all that's needed to make us right with him what's left is how we respond God's will is not this invisible tightrope that we're forced to cross without any support. And over everything is this overarching umbrella of God's mercies that he's already opened over us. So recognizing God's will begins with recognizing God himself. Recognizing God's will begins with recognizing God himself. So one more note about worship. We learned that worship is this continuous, appropriate response to God revealing himself. But more than that, worship is relational. Like the function of worship is relational. It's like swing dancing. You need to know your partner. You need to be able to recognize their cues and to move in response to them. More than anything, God is inviting us into a relationship with him. That's his will for us. I will leave you today with this. Our transformative journey to recognizing the will of God is this, respond to God's mercies in every aspect of our lives, recognize what is good and pleasing and perfect by using the scripture as our mold and repeat. Now, as a church, we've been sharing these things called altars and learning how to recognize God in our daily lives. And I would really encourage you to press into that for yourself this week. Practice viewing your whole life through the lens of God's mercies and practice responding by laying down every aspect of your life as sacrificial worship, whether that's in thankfulness or whether that's in lament or whether that's in praise uh, however that appropriate response is in that moment just lay it before god and watch what he does with that i guarantee that that is more rewarding than trying to walk that invisible tightrope. let's close in prayer dear father i thank you so so much for your abundance your abundance of life and of joy and of love and your abundant mercies I thank you that you desire to know us but more you desire us to know you I thank you that you pursue us in our daily lives that you are not bored in our mundane but that you walk with us and I just pray, Father, that you would call to mind uh, different aspects as, our, as we break today and as we go about our lives this week, that you would uh, help us to learn and help us to grow and help us to see your mercies in every aspect in our lives and help us to respond to that in a worshipful way. In Jesus' name, amen.